Oiga, disculpe, ¿esta es una Laika? Everybody, welcome to another episode of Laika Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Carlos Lemas. So thank you once again for taking the time out of your day, giving the listeners something to listen to. I know we've been trying to plan this for quite some time, and schedules weren't lining up, and we finally got it. So here we go. Appreciate it once again, but please introduce yourself, where you're at, where you've been, what you do, anything you'd like the world to know. Uh, what's up? I'm, I'm Carlos Lemas. Um, thanks for having me. Right now, I'm uh, in San Francisco, in, uh, and all over California. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know, I've moved around a lot in my life, but this is where I've been the last, like, year and a half. Um, yeah, honestly, my full-time job is a barista. I just make coffee. Nice. 40 hours a week, and I try and squeeze in shooting photos pretty much any time that I can in between that time. Um, and, yeah, I kind of do a little skateboarding on the side as well, so kind of mix up the perspective a little bit, but yeah, I feel like not a lot, not a lot to, uh, <laughs> to what I do. I feel like I live a rather simple life, but since taking photos, that's kind of been, been a big, uh, I don't know, just motivator in life, just getting outside. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No worries. So latte art. Did you go to school for that, or did you just kind of learn on your own? Uh, no, no, I just, um, it just, it's just, I learn every day, dude. <laughs> um, started making coffee maybe like a year ago. Yeah, I got this job back in June, and started like actually making, making coffee probably around like July, August time, but it's, it's been a, a long, grueling process. At first, it was super frustrating, like... You know, I'm like taking photos when you first start. You know, like you look at everything and you're like, oh, I hate all of this. <laughs> and, but it's motivating because it's an exciting process. But I don't know. I have fun with it. The, the spot I work at is kind of like a specialty coffee shop. So it's kind of like treated like a craft a little bit and kind of got to put in some work before you even get to like start messing around on the espresso bar making coffee. But okay, yeah, it's just, uh, like one component of it but a lot of fun that's for sure all right you're hitting your espresso with 65 bars of psi uh shit i think it's like i think it's like nine pounds of pressure is what ours is putting out nice so i yeah. i blew the, the coffee out of the little metal cup 65 bars <laughs> Uh, no you're good it's uh i don't know i try not to get into like the technical things like no it's uh it's all yeah no i mean that's just me dude i'm i'm kind of more of like a just taste it and what does it taste like you know it's like you can you can get technical with shit all day but at the end of the day it's like i don't know i think it just comes down to experience all right so you're in like I don't know the perfect field, coffees and cameras. You get all the little cameras. Coffee meets. and cameras. You get all the meats of coffee. Coffee starts the meeting for pretty much every hobby out there. Cars and coffee, cameras and coffee, coffee and everything. 
that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. It's cool seeing, I mean, you know, I've met a cool few photographers here just through okay. working at the, the coffee shop and got to showcase like some of my work for the first time ever, which was a super cool experience. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Coffee is, uh, it's been great. I worked in retail for a long time before this. Probably around the time that I started shooting photos, yeah, like to the end of college. Okay. And, uh, yeah, not not quite as stimulating, I would say. Don't meet as many interesting people, not kind of like in that cool space. And you meet a lot of artists here in the city, so mm. it's fun. So, yeah, so one, of the, one of the good friends, uh, Carlo Velasquez, yep. shout him out. He's a super dope photographer. Uh, at left foot forward on Instagram mm. but uh, yeah he worked at like a coffee shop before he uh, started working at Leica and mm. it's kind of funny because like sometimes we'll like chop it up about that and like he'll show me photos of like old latte art and stuff and I'm like dang dude you're killing it so it's funny one day one day maybe I'll uh, switch it up but it's kind of what's paying the bills for now it's too nice yeah it's funny you said that because I was just about to ask you if you knew Carlo and then Mac Marcus Valderrama. Yeah. And Sanchez. Mark Sanchez? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I know Mark, but I know uh, Marcus and Carlo. Mm-hmm. I actually met them both like the same night at like a, a coffee shop art event at all, you know, full okay. circle, all comes back. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, they're, they're both super dope photographers, super nice guys too. Always welcoming shot with them, like Lunar New Year. Um, it was like pouring rain out. It's a funny story. And I'm just like reloading film under this little awning. And like Marcus was walking with another like mutual friend, Alden, and just like looks over. They're like, yo, dude, come walk with us. I was just cruising around by myself, but it was raining and then ended up meeting up with Carlo and yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a fun experience shooting with those guys. I feel like I've never, I've spent a lot of time by myself. Okay. I've never really had a lot of uh, experience shooting with other people. So it's kind of funny when you're, uh, when you're cruising around with people of, you know, of like minds, and then you're like, oh, dude, this is what I look like. Yeah, same, <laughs> same interest. Yeah. When you're shooting the streets, it's uh, Cool, that's cool. Yeah, I guess I didn't mention that earlier. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into that. But um, all right. First question is: When did you start making photos? And when you did start, what kind of photos were you making? Oh man, um, I think I like probably when I got an iPhone. I feel like the iPhone camera kind of changed it for me, honestly. Okay. As a kid, that was that was cool, and I was just taking like you know photos of everything that I saw, just like landscapes that put out like camping in the desert and random stuff. Um, and then like I'd say like a, a real camera, like 2018. My mom won this like Nikon DSLR at, at this uh, work event. And I remember I took it with me to Italy on like a little family trip. And 
I didn't know what I was doing. I just started tinkering with it, but I was like determined to not use like any kind of like auto focus or any of that. I was like, I, I gotta be the one like making the picture. I don't know why I was like dead set on that. I was like, if I can like choose the settings, like I should do that. Like I don't want the camera to do it. And so I just kind of, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just toying around taking pictures and, some of them came out kind of all right, but I had no grasp of anything. Mm. And one of my friends, one of my roommates at the time, when I got back, I was showing him and he had like a, I think it was like a, maybe like a Pentax, like just 35 mil SLR. And he like started kind of telling me about film. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. So then, yeah, like 2018 is when I like kind of really started to, to get into it. I like ditched the digital camera real quick and, found a little like SLR on Craigslist and kind of started plugging away. I would just walk around. I was living in Santa Cruz at the time. And at first it was just like a lot of walking around during golden hour. Yeah. I feel like very, I don't know, you know, just taking pictures of light things that I look back and, you know, not to say that those kinds of photos aren't good, but looking back now, I'm like, Oh man. All right not very stimulating, but it was like a nice process and they got me into like just walking, which I had never, I'd never experienced. Honestly, like I grew up as, as a skateboarder. Like I started when I was like three or four years old and that kind of drove me everywhere. So that like, you know, changing that pace and slowing it down really kind of like altered my perspective and started to, kind of like make me want to do it more. And then eventually, I don't even know. Yeah, I was just doing that. Old cars, weird Santa Cruz things. Walkers like down the boardwalk. And I remember, I think like when the pandemic hit, I was still shooting a lot of that. Like I have a lot of like images from that time, especially like some, eventually John Hendrix, shout out John. Um, offered me a, a, a Mamiya and I bought that from him a little RV67 I shouldn't say little because that camera's it's huge <laughs> too damn big yeah way too big and so yeah I kind of started plugging away still kind of along the same grain like a lot of landscape stuff just still life imagery and uh, one of my good friends Brayden probably around like after things started opening up, we had met and he kind of introduced me to street photography. And then I was like, Oh dude, this is sick. Like what have I been doing? Nice. And yeah, kind of been focused on that. I would say ever since then, which was a weird time because I didn't know what street photography was like before the pandemic. Yeah. So to kind of only almost see the world through that perspective now, I have like no prior frame of reference, so I'm like, shit, that would have been interesting. But I also don't really look at the world the same way as I do now as I did back then. So, okay. Did you yeah. ever try to do like the skateboard photography? I did. I I still would love to. It's uh, it's tough though. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think. I've got some shots that are like, yeah, they're 
they're decent, but it's like, I feel like I never quite got the perspective that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, it's, it's also difficult when you like grow up your whole life, like flipping through skate magazines and you have like a, I don't know, trying not to compare yourself to a lot of the imagery that you've seen already is like really difficult, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of, at one point was like, if I wanted to do this, I feel like it would really only be feasible to do it digital. And I don't really want to invest in that kind of setup. There are a few people shooting film skate photos that are really sick. Um, I don't know if you follow uh, Rafael Gonzalez on Instagram, but he takes really cool medium format photos on a hostile blood with a fisheye. And he's still rocking that. And he has, yeah, he has his own little like, kind of like zine that he puts out. They're really nice. It's uh, it's called, um, why am I blinking? Interstate. Interstate. And yeah, really cool stuff. Another dude like Matt Price takes really crazy like fisheye photos. He makes it up though. Mm -hmm. Or he mixes it up between like digital and film. So I don't know. It's like one of those things where it's like, I have a setup to do it. Like, kind of fried, but I found a, uh, a fisheye for my Mamiya at one point and got a banging deal on it. So I was like, yeah. dude, I can't pass this up. That a glass key just a few blocks away from me here in San Francisco. And even if you were ever in the area, go say what up to like Gordon and Matt. They're super cool people. They hold it down. Um, best camera store in the city. Best place to get film. Super knowledgeable dudes. So yeah. Um, it, yeah, but I don't know. Getting back to that, dude, it's just, it's so expensive to be skating on the film, especially if you're a skateboarder. Because for me, I'm like, I don't want to take a photo and it not be the make. And then, like, be like, okay, cool, here's a cool skate photo. But it's like, I know that they didn't land it. So mm-hmm. when I would do it, I would sit out there and just run through rolls until they landed it and sometimes it was like going home with like <laughs> one shot just four dude one shot and four empty rolls and this is medium format you know and i was like taking the time to i wouldn't process the ones that i didn't get because i knew which ones they weren't but yeah but dude you're just like this is this hit rate is not very good and this is way too expensive so yeah i don't know it's it's tough. I would even try and look, you know, mm-hmm. plan shit to the viewfinder and not fire frame every time. But yeah. So I've tried. I shouldn't say. It. I don't want to say I'm a. I've done skateboard photography. I've been to some locations where they have skateboards. I would say. South Bank, London, they have a pretty cool skate park. I've been there, but I didn't go there to take pictures of people skateboarding. I was walking through, and it just so happened the skateboarders were there. And I took a lot on digital, so I can just imagine. I know exactly what you mean. But for me, I like capturing them when they're in the air. I shouldn't say capture. I like mm-hmm. taking the photo when they're in the air. So there's that. 
And then, like you said, it's kind of that point where they're trying to land it. So, yeah, they didn't always land it. And then when they would, it'd be pretty cool. But when you're on digital, you have pretty much unlimited access to the image. Mm -hmm. So it made it a little easier. And out here in Okinawa, there's, I would say the skateboarding scene is starting to pick up. There's a lot more skateboarders now, I've noticed. And there's a little popular hangout area. It's called American Village. And they'll just try keep jumping off of the stairs and little mm-hmm. young young kids. Some some make it, some don't. But I only bring that up because I had just recently purchased a Fuji six by nine. So rangefinder and medium format. And it, like you said, it's so easy to go through film on on skateboarders. Yeah, it's insane. Especially, and then, you know, it takes so many tries. And I don't know, like I said, for me as a skateboarder, mm-hmm. I'm sure like as a kid, you're like looking to, you know, I, I don't want to, I can't like validate this, but I feel like there's like certainly like an unspoken rule of like, not putting a photo out where they didn't land it too. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to like sit there and start and not see that through, especially for the person that's like skating. Cause then it's like, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. You just plug through, plug through rolls so quick. It's yeah. It's, it's tempting though, dude. It's so much fun, especially since I've been like, doing it forever and it's just like a fun experience i dabbled in like videography for a little while mm-hmm. and like just all, always skating too um yeah i feel like i also get way too obsessed with that fisheye perspective on things okay just like that's like <laughs> yeah so you still shoot with the mamiya very very rarely if it's something that i uh yeah, very, very rarely. If I'm like planning something, which I haven't done in a while, mm-hmm. um, like I, I did some, I don't know if you'd call it like advertising work, but I shot photos for like the cafe that I work at. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used the Mamiya for that, which worked out great. And then I've lugged it out to like a couple of like, spots to try and get like skate photos but other than that it doesn't really see the light of day it just kind of stays tucked away yeah you gotta connect it to a little car hitch and trailer to move it around it's so big it's <laughs> jokes by the way yeah give myself some crickets <laughs> all right <laughs> nah, that's cool nah, nah, it definitely cool. builds up the calves skating around with that thing on my back dude i've yeah it's it's a it's a beefy one i will say that but mm-hmm. I've I've noticed that many of my guests, not all of them, but um, I don't want to say majority. I would say some have started and began with skateboarding photography before they got into street photography, and some still take photos. One person I can recall, it was out of, I think it was Korea, Hoon Yim. 
He was really good with skateboard photos. Yeah, mm-hmm. look him up. He is on okay. Instagram. Hoon Yim. I'm following him. H O O N. Yeah, yeah. If you go to my my Instagram and just type it in, you'll find him. But he was really good, and yeah, he kind of was breaking it down and. It's very similar saying on, on what, you, what you meant to. So, all the very cool. Are you familiar with the with the Tiba Jefferson's work at all? I I am not. I never heard of him. Uh, all of the three people uh, okay. you mentioned: Raphael, Matt, and this guy. I have never heard of until now. Cool. That's, that's I don't know. That's why I love these talks. It's always fun to yeah, introducing people. And I'll go. Look yeah, yeah. And I'm sure some of the listeners, if they haven't heard of the three people, they will probably be interested in seeing their photos. I will get you their information from you after, so I can include it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. But before we got into skateboarding, you mentioned COVID and how it kind of changed your perspective. Did it change your perspective with photography or just in life in general? Um, I I think like in, in a lot of different aspects. Uh, I had like just, just finished college at that time, like in the fall. Yeah. So like winter quarter, fall winter quarter of 2019, I graduated or once I graduated, I finished all of my classes and then was basically just waiting until spring to walk for the, for the graduation. But, you know, lo and behold, that never happened. That was the first year of like virtual graduations. Virtual. So, which I was just like, fuck that, dude, I'm not going to chill on my computer for three hours and hear names get called off. I guess mom wasn't too happy, but it's all good. Um, anyways, yeah. Uh, so I just, it, I felt like that was like a, a nice time to just kind of like step back and be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do me right now. I just got my degree. The world's kind of in a weird state. I was working like a retail job in Santa Cruz. Uh, it was like a local store. It's kind of like a lifestyle store. Sold like surf and skate apparel and like skateboards and stuff. So it was really rad. Anyways, like we um, kind of had to shut down. So I just started working there full time, dude. I started working at like a one of he was like involved in a weed dispensary. It was weird, but I just focused all my energy on like taking photos. Cause I had already had that like foot in the door. I got really paranoid. All the film labs are going to close. So I was just like bought a C41 kit real quick off of, I think it was like freestyle photo and watched some YouTube videos and I started developing film. So it definitely like pushed me in a, in a great direction because I finished school and I was like, well, I'm in no hurry to get out into the world right now. Cause everything shut down and, it was funny that just like that whole creative side of it, everything like took over. Like I'd never really, I went to school for legal studies, dude. I was like for a long time, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, go to law school. 
It's not too late. Hasn't quite worked out that way. Yeah. It's never too late, which is why I'm kind of, which is why I'm, what I'm, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So I'm like, ah, I can always go back, but yeah, it just really motivated me to kind of like learn about the back ends of film and like processing. And I had only, I was only shooting colorish. I'll kind of only shoot black and white at this point. Like, 98% 98% of the time black and white now, but it was good. It got me processing, learning about just like the technical aspects. Um, and I think uh, just the state of the world was something that I like, I don't know if I would say like would could resonate with, but I liked the photos that I was making. Like I would drive, and just kind of like get out of my car if I saw something. And like I said, that time it was, I was doing a lot of like, to say I was heavily influenced by William Eggleston around that time. Um, and so just taking a lot of photos of light and kind of trying to like recreate images like that. Mm -hmm. And at that point, yeah, I was living in Santa Cruz. So yeah, it just, uh, didn't really change my perspective because I feel like it just drove me into something that I was already familiar with, especially with everybody being out, you know, locked away in their homes. I would go to this abandoned military base, uh, down in like Monterey Bay called Fort Ward. Okay. And that was like one of the first things that kind of like got me like motivated motivated photographically like where I thought I was like oh okay this is like something I'm going to commit to and go back and really try and like capture the space and walk around because it was like a huge it was a big base and so there's a lot of it just like abandoned buildings everywhere and it's creepy and eerie and desolate and I was like perfect all the things I'm into like I'm hopping fences to get in here it feels like I'm skateboarding I'm not supposed to be here um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like that's really it. All right. You develop your own film? I do, yeah. Are you shooting film only, or do you do both digital? Uh, only film. I don't have a digital camera. All right. It was one of the things I looked into as I was like thinking about diving into more skate photography, just being around really talented people. I was like, fuck, I want to capture this. And yeah. Yeah. I, uh, didn't haven't ended up buying a digital camera. I just, I'm like, it's my, it's my scanner. My film scanner is my digital camera. There you go. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's so I just, I was having a conversation with some other photographers earlier. We were kind of discussing the price of film. And obviously everybody who shoots film has seen a recent increase in prices over the last few years to the point where people who were desperately seeking to buy all of the 
dream film cameras that they seen a YouTuber using one time and they're like, oh, I've got to have this camera, are now desperately trying to sell their film cameras because the cost is too expensive. I'm just curious, why do you continue to shoot film instead of just quitting and moving into digital? Yeah, that's a, that's a question I ask myself every day, every time I'm scanning, yeah. <laughs> uh, every time I'm at the film store. Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid question to be asking. Um, fuck. I think what it comes down to for me at the end of the day is... Um, I'm not the most like tech savvy person, I would say. Um, I'm a very tactile person, and I love the idea of just like having my photos in a binder, like right next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, having that photo on a physical emulsion that you can store away and file forever, rather than you know an interpretation like a digital sensor so like, don't get me wrong like digital cameras are insane and I've certainly been like tempted to go that route because I'm like oh, I could take so many more photos like I could just shoot all day and not have to worry about it you know there's no ends um but then that thought also kind of like gets a little daunting as well because I'm like oh shit then I gotta go home and look through all of these like yes you do it's not yeah, always, it's not always um, greener. Right, right. Um, so for me, it's like what I'm paying for. I think is like to have that. You have that photo. You have that moment recorded physically. You know, yeah. on a, on this gelatin emulsion, and you can print that in a dark room put it away in a binder where no one might see it for 20, 30 years. I recently found like slides that my grandfather had taken in like the seventies and eighties. And, you know, he had passed away and I was back home or back in Arizona where my dad's from, where we're going through some of this stuff. And I just found all this old slide film and I was like, Oh wow. You know, just like a little kid. Yeah. Was it There's something about, there is some Kodachrome in there. Nice. Yeah. It was really cool finding that. And I was just like, you know, little kid just holding it up to the light. Oh, shit, guys. Like, check this out. And mm-hmm. I still get that feeling every time I process film. But the feelings are always mixed, you know. Sometimes, like, like watching it dry. And I'm just like, ah. Yeah. Well, I kind of fucked this one up. Or sometimes you just, like, you know, you almost need that that time which is nice though like watching your photos dry is something not a lot of people <laughs> I feel like understand it's, they're just like so excited for it it is an art so I'm gonna share a tip with you I, I got a some more on the film conversation from earlier but you scan your own film when you do do, mm-hmm. you, do you shoot a lot of slide film or do you shoot any slide film? I don't shoot any slide I don't shoot okay. any slide film. So here's the free tip of the day for those who have 
not consider this. I, I've shot a few rolls of slide film. I was gifted some. I've shot them. I purchased some E100, which is very beautiful. Slide film, I try to stay away from, though, because you have to shoot. You have to be, like, 99.9% to 100% accurate whenever you expose for the film. You can't push yep. the density. It it doesn't. It, it won't work. Don't even try to push your your slide film. They're only making slide film at 100 ISO anyway, so um, good luck with that. Anyway. When I first started shooting film, I've, I was shooting all kinds, color, black and white, and whatever. I had some slide film, and I took it to get developed because I didn't know how to develop on my own. And they would mm-hmm. cut it each frame, and they would put it in the little plastic clips so that you can put it in the little mm-hmm. projector. Well, I scanned my own film, and here's the tip of the day part. And now, whenever I go and get my slide film developed, I don't have them chop each frame up separately. I just keep them in Mm -hmm. strips of six, and I just load them into my film film cassette, and when I scan, it's scanning by the sixes like it would on C41 color negatives, and it's so much faster to scan. So instead of taking one little plastic clip and loading it into each of its own own separate tray, Mm -hmm. I just scan it from the film strip and it's so much faster, so much easier, but yeah, that's it. That was my tip of the day and kind of want to answer a question that I asked you was why do you continue shooting film? And this goes back Mm. to the conversation that I was having with my other photographer friends earlier. And I think the purists at heart photographers who really enjoy photography for the art as opposed to trying to get out there and just want to mass produce photos, I I would say, in in a digital aspect. Like you said, obviously we got an SD card and we can shoot 50 million pictures on one thing now. But there's a different experience when you shoot film that you would with digital. And I slowed my film consumption down a lot because the cost, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to say I quit film because of the cost. I don't shoot as much film because of the cost. And the reason is because when I was shooting film, I was just saving the bulk in bulk, right? So I was taking probably 80 rolls of film to go get developed. Now, it's like 15 to $20, depending on if I'm getting it pushed. I, I don't develop my own film anymore. I used to. And I think the cost of what I was paying to have it developed, I could have just had all of the chemicals shipped to me. But I don't have the time. I'm very busy. So I would just rather pay someone to develop it. But so just imagine I'm taking 80 rolls of film Anywhere from twelve to sixteen dollars a roll. It's it's a lot of money, and that is why I slowed it down. But I just yeah, you still gotta scan it all. Yeah, the scanning. You you kind of learn tips and tricks, and as much as it pains me to say this, you'll 
I just got to the point where I just want to scan it just to archive it. And if I want to, if I find a frame that I really, really like, I can go back and I can scan it with more proper technique. Because scanning is a, it's, it's its own art. And I've been <laughs> learning, I don't know what software you use, but I use, what is it, uh, Silver, Silverfast. And I'm always learning something new every time I open up that app. And I've been scanning since 2018 when I first started shooting film. Probably the best investment okay. film-wise I, I did was purchase a film scanner because that's probably saved me an additional, I would say, total of $2,000. Now, you said you got binders of film. How many binders do you got? I only got three full, like just packed full where the, the rings are, are barely closing. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's probably more. Yeah, than, I mean, more than nah, four. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's four. It's three thirty-five, like stuffed, like one inch thirty-five, and then uh, one uh, one medium format. Okay. Yeah, both all three of mine are yeah. they're mixed thirty-fives and medium format, but I want to. I do separate them now, so each binder is separated by black and white color, brand, ISO, and then format. So, oh, okay. I'm very OCD when it comes to how I organize my my stuff. It has to be uh -huh. in specific orders, and that's how I choose to do. Mm. Mm. That's that's fair. We all have different ways of thinking. I think I just do mine like. And chronologically, I guess, yeah. um, just as I go, I just keep adding, but I, the way I file everything when I scan it is just by like months. So okay. it's funny. Usually I'll remember things by like whatever month it happened in, which I never thought like that before. But now that I do, it's like, I remember things a lot more, or at least like exactly when things happen, I'll be like, Oh yeah, that was this day. This is I'll see it over and over. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes if I'm out shooting like a like a street event, like I was out at, at Carnival on Sunday, like that, I'll like write down, you know, the specific date. So I'm like, I don't know. It's recording that moment in time. Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, at the end of the day, that's what photos are. So sometimes when you don't have or don't remember when that moment is, it's almost like, fuck, like how did I forget that? Or, why didn't I take better notes? Yeah. I don't want to say I remember every single one of my photos I've taken. But I rem if I look at a photo, I'll remember where I was and pretty much I'll remember when I took the photo. And if it's a really, really good photo that I like. I'll remember that photo and that's kind of why it's easy for me to archive that way mm. is I'm like, okay, oh, I need this photo. And then I'll remember, all right, I took it on this film stock with this ISO. So I'm, now mm. I'm able to just jump to, all right, say it's a HP5 that I shot at 800. Yeah. It's still marked based on the box speed, 400. 
but it's easier for me to find because mm-hmm. now I'm like, okay, now I know it's not Fujifilm Acros, it's not Kodak Triax, it's gonna yeah. be in the the HP5 section. So I'll go uh, for HP5, and then I'll just look for the. I'll remember when I'll start seeing some of the frames. Like, nope, this is not where it's at. This is not where it's at. And now, if I find the roll of film it was on, and then I just find the image. It's easy for me. It's kind of like catalog how libraries do it. My brain has yeah. a weird Rolodex. Yeah, that's that's super valid. I yeah, I just kind of like write the corresponding notes for like whatever you know on my archive sheet that's on my computer. So if I ever need to go back and like rescan things at high resolutions, like usually it's pretty like straightforward. I just gotta flip through. And like, okay, yeah. I remember this. And yeah, we all got we all got different ways of thinking about things. Okay, you mentioned. William Eggleston is does his work influence you the most if not who would you say is your number one influence influential photographer yeah that was that was a different uh, that was like 20 you know 2020 Carlos Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think it's been a long time since I've been influenced by like work like that. Not to not to say his work's not beautiful in its own regard, because it definitely is. Shortly thereafter, I like picked up a copy of like uh, this big volume of Magnum Streetwise, um, which introduced me to like Bruce Gilden's work. So that was like an initial heavy influence. Like seeing his stuff, I was like, ah, oh, this guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> He's just getting up in people's faces and. Something about growing up as a skateboarder where you're kind of getting yelled at all the time as a kid and you're like, hey, you can't be here. Something about his style of shooting really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And his work was, yeah. So that was like one of my first, like, okay, I, I need to get out and start taking pictures of, of people. Um, and then... Yeah, not so. I haven't looked at too much of this stuff currently. I would say like biggest influences are probably like a lot of my friends. Honestly, I love a lot of the photos my friends take. It's just cool to to see different perspectives and share photos and mm-hmm. see photos of the same places that you're at all the time, but just through someone else's eye. It's funny how height can make such a big difference. And the way that you're taking photos, like I feel like I tend to shoot a lot from like kind of like the hip and I'll shoot down. I like to shoot down below people mm-hmm. and kind of like look up and capture a lot of like some of the architecture as well. And then I have some friends that are really tall and it's funny cause you'll like see kind of how they like loom down on the subjects, but they capture a lot more of like what's happening down below. Um, so a lot of the homies and, um, Maybe one of like the the people that I like look at a lot for like organizing and inspiration is like Ruben Radding. Okay. That his photos are it, it yeah. I'd say he's probably like been one of my biggest like influences as of late or like inspirations, just seeing how he organizes things so well in his frames. I'm like, ah oh, yeah. that's insane. He's really good. I actually just Released the episode that I recorded with him many months ago. 
sitting on that oh. for a while. Yeah, so that was the last one that just released last Friday. I was supposed to release one this week, but um, I took it off. Cause I've been trying to catch up on some stuff, and I need vacations too. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie. Yeah, dude. Yeah, but uh, self care is important. I will be resuming my uploading next week, and we'll start getting them pumped out again. But yeah, the last episode I released was Ruben Ratings, and super super great guy, great photographer, very. Mm, trying to choose my words correctly here. Inspirational photographer. I'm just going to say that. So I would highly recommend anybody who does not know who Ruben Riding is to go check out his work, listen to our episode, and learn a lot. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll definitely have to go plug into that. That sounds insane. Yeah, he's got a. So you got a great mind when it comes to photography. So lots of insights and kind of how he his methods. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean anybody else? Let's <laughs> <laughs> do my zines here. <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of a lot of people shooting here in San Francisco or they're really killing it. Um, but this is, you know, this is the first metropolitan city I've lived in. I feel like I've been been itching for this experience, especially since picking up a camera. Yeah. So it's hard not to be influenced by the people that you're kind of like surrounded with. And I don't know. He, yeah. he mentioned a publication, Hamburger Eyes. Which I'm still, ah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to put together something to send them to see if they will print my work, and that's kind of on the West Coast, California. I don't know what what city is for sure, but are you familiar with the little publication? I am. Yeah, I've got a couple of them. I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. I was kind of blanking there for a second. Yeah, I think the guy that runs it is uh, Ray Ray Poets. Ray Poets. Um, like probably the first, first zine I ever got my hands on, my friend Braden showed it to me, the guy I mentioned earlier that kind of started to really school me on street photography, mm-hmm. introduced me to all that. And he kind of just let me look through a couple of his copies and I was like, whoa, this is, this is cool. Yeah. Just like all just black and white full spread zines printed really well and it's just a lot of like mixed imagery it's beautiful um well I gotta go back and another person that I think lately that someone maybe whose photos I'm not as familiar as I would like to be just cause it's a little hard to get hands on their work uh when you're spending so much money on film, but uh, Dido Moriyama lately. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of his uh, interviews and his approach to photography is something that I really resonate with. And I think that approach and mm-hmm. has kind of like motivated me to like really try and hone in on that. I think one of the things that he touches on, not I think one of the things he touches on frequently is uh 
making photos in your daily life. Yeah. Not necessarily going out to take photos, but going out and just making photos. Oh, amazing. Yeah. He's awesome. So rad. He's one of the goats, and I am a very big fan of his as well. I've actually was able to see some of his prints up close. Amazing, amazing work. Amazing work. <sighs> Um, yeah, I, that's, that's beautiful. I think the, the two things that I love is like making photos in your daily life, which is something that is always keeps me just with the camera or two at all times, yeah. because some of my favorite or best moments or times where I'm just like walking from the grocery store, like I'll be out shooting on market street for three, four hours. And it's like, you don't really see anything in the second from like, all right, time to go to Trader Joe's, get some groceries and go home. And I'm walking out with like my tote bag on my shoulder. Something crazy will happen. Like the other day I was on my way and this wall, uh, there's a Walgreens right on market street. And, um, someone was recently shot and murdered for like shoplifting from that Walgreens. His name was Banco Brown. Um, and so they boarded up all the windows and there's been a lot of like protests right there, but it's like, it's probably one of like the busiest spots in San Francisco. It's like, if you're out there, you're going to run into a couple of street photographers. Cause that's where we kind of just hang out. It's like a good hub. You can cruise up to union square pretty quickly. Anyways, I was walking. It's actually just like, I got some snacks to meet up with a friend at Union Square. I'm just walking down, had my camera out, but I'm not, I wasn't really in the mindset of really like shooting like that. It's like, if I see something, I'll shoot it. And right as I was walking past the entrance of the Walgreens, the security guard and some protesters started to get into it. And I was like, oh shit. And like, they're like yelling at each other and people are screaming. The security guard's like slamming the door shut. There's just like this whole commotion and maybe like 45 second interaction. And I looked down and I just kind of blasted through like 10 frames on that one, like altercation nice. and just kind of like went about my day. <laughs> but it's minute. those moments. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I'll, I'll walk around for hours and not see anything like that or have an interesting experience. I'll still be taking photos, but maybe it's not something that like is like exhilarating. Yeah. Where I, know, I, I love those moments where you kind of like, you look down at your frame count and you're like, Oh shit. And you think about it. You're like, did I focus those? Like where, <laughs> where was it? Like you just kind of like enter into this different world. Yeah. And I love just kind of like tuning in and out of that, even when I might not, you know, be like, I'm making photos today. It's like, I got my camera out, lens cap is off, I'm ready to go. Like, exposure settings are they're there because I shoot like all manual. So it's like, I have to always measure my exposure. I wouldn't say measure because I don't use a light meter. I just yeah. kind of. You look. I need 16. Yeah, I just, you know, use my eyeballs. Um, but always, I'm always like, try constantly have to be changing shit in San Francisco it's like 
one side of the street will be like a 16th at one five hundredth if you're shooting like Tri-X or 400 speed film and then cross the street and you're down to like four at like one sixtieth, or you're like even thinking like, dude, I'm breaking out my flash right now. Like, so yeah, those moments keep me going. And when he said that, just like, I don't, one of the things Dido put out is like, I don't go places to take photos. I go places to be there and I happen to make photos. Yeah. I was like, I like that. It's pretty cool. I'm hoping one day yeah. I'll bump into him in Shinjuku. He's always walking around it's the same approach with his little digital point and shoot. And if you see it, it's like most times he has a little budget, like Nikon point and shoot cameras or whatever point and shoot he has at the yeah. time. It's like not even one of those intricate, hyped up cameras from YouTube. Oh, you got to use this camera because this and this and this. He just. Mm-hmm. He loves photography for photography. But speaking of Dido, are you familiar with the Provoke era? That was like his like publication, right? Or like his, was that his like little he was like, a kind of like magazine? It wasn't his per se. He was kind of brought in at a later time. I don't, if I recall correctly he wasn't like one of the founding members of the provoke magazine and uh-huh. i think they brought him in on the second and then they worked on it with the third i have to read it but yep that is the one and is definitely I'm, yeah a great uh, era for japanese photography and just studying photography as a visual medium in general I think can help all photographers to expand their knowledge and how they see photography and that whole mindset of everything has to be perfect, you know? So yeah. different cultures view photography different. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about Japanese photographers is those that were influenced by the Provoke era, you'll you'll see that like a beautiful image doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Yeah. I back that 110%. Was uh so like, you know, I'm not too familiar with this era, but maybe a little bit more like with some of the imagery. Is like a Rocky a part of that era as well, I would imagine. You could say that he wasn't a part of the Provoke publications but Japanese photographer kind of around the same time doing his own thing and Mm -hmm. he was from what I've seen his work really like the way he captured the street photos and then to where he's at now very creative and like I'll I'll have to show you like because I collect a lot of photo books but So I actually ordered this one from Amazon, but I didn't know at the time. It's actually the Italian version, and I ripped the box because I was so excited to get it. The way they packaged it was horrible. Not the actual, like the, the box was perfect, but they somehow connected the box with the packaging. 
So when you try to open it, it was like stuck. And sometimes I get very anxious and I lose my patience and I just start ripping stuff. And I ended up ripping the back of the box. And I got even more upset because I'm like one, I told you my OCD where it has to be like perfect. So I had a a brand new, this set was brand new and, and now it's ruined because I ripped the shit out of the box. But so check this out. Like I've, I would never consider thinking of anything like this. Now, these are just prints on little cardboard stocks. So these aren't the actual image. But essentially, it's just Polaroids. And I think... No, these don't go together. But check this out. So I got the Polaroid. And it's like... The woman on one half, cut in half with like Mm -hmm. nature. So I've noticed like a lot of Japanese photographers do stuff like this. And it's really super cool to look at. This is Araki's. This one's called Polar Polar No Polarnography. I don't know. But it sounds like he was trying to put like pornography, but polar because it's Polaroids. Polaroids, yeah. yeah. So like nature and women. Cut in half in a way, stitched together. It looks like he probably took their like one sky photo and then a picture of a person and then cut it because they fit perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creative, yeah. I don't know, super cool. Very, very cool idea, yeah. yeah. Just I'll have to look more into that. His evolution of photography okay. is really, uh, yeah, pretty cool, interesting. Yeah, uh, I also, yeah, I like that perspective of like photos don't have to be perfect, you know, it's like I feel like such a You know, I feel like that's maybe one of, you have this like school, you know, say like the F64 club and like Ansel Adams and Edward Weston and this whole thought of like, okay, it's like you have this way to recapture reality exactly as it is and you should do so exactly how it looks kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's cool. It's beautiful, but like, then, you know you know, start breaking down shutter speeds and it's like you're capturing photos at fractions of a second. And sometimes the feeling of that moment and just that fraction is so much more powerful, even if it's out of focus or soft or maybe not composed as perfectly as it could be. But you have that moment there. And sometimes that's all you need to kind of like bring you into it and that feeling Sometimes things don't look as good when they're sharp, in my opinion. Yeah. I've you, need a, you need a little surrealism. <laughs> Most definitely. I've started to see, I would say, a shift in photography where I see a lot of photographers are trying to try new experimental things as opposed to what they were mm-hmm. taking before. The whole in-focus, sharp kind of photo and now very creative and experimental for for some yeah you know it's uh 
I think like like you said earlier, one of the things I like about Dido is like he's just messing around like point and shoots. It's like a camera is a box. Mm-hmm. And something that I've heard you constantly kind of like recommend to people is like don't go out and buy gear. You know, you should look into getting like um going to like a workshop. Yeah. And I like uh, I love that. I haven't done I haven't done that, but I am like a big proponent of like one camera, one lens, like kind of like that's it. Like sometimes I'll carry a point and shoot in my jacket pocket, like just because I, I live in a pretty for anybody in San Francisco or familiar with San Francisco, like I live in the Tenderloin, so it's rather like vibrant neighborhood. <laughs> Not somewhere you want to be walking around with the camera visibly showing. Um, so I keep my like my my main camera like tucked in my tote bag and I'll usually have like a little point and shoot in my like pocket just if I really want to get something. Um Yeah, a camera's just a box and when you kind of like limit your options, you almost start to expand how you like look at it. And I found myself shooting at like really slow shutter speeds, like dragging the shutter and just like see like just for shits and giggles, you know, I'm like, what's this going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, what if I, what is it going to look like if I walk around at night and shoot like in that one eighth of a second handheld, like it'd be kind of cool. And so it's like those little things where it's just like constantly, I feel like when you limit, what you have to work with, you start to work with it a little bit more and experiment with like how you're capturing things differently. Recently I was like, Oh, I want to get a wider lens. I shoot on a 35 mil lens and I was like, fuck, I don't know if this is cutting it. Mm. I want to get closer. And when I get close, I'm not capturing everything that I want. Like I like to capture people's expressions even in just like mundane situations as they're crossing the sidewalk, just when you can like kind of see the gears turning in someone's head and they're in their own little world, just amidst the chaos of the city. Like sometimes I really love that and I want to get really close and just isolate that. And then I'm like, ah, fuck now I don't see anything else. Yeah. But I was like, kind of like slept on that for a sec and I was like, you know what? No, like, keep doing what you're doing, just step back a little bit, you know, which, which was fun. Like I shot, you know, shot carnival and I was really happy with a lot of the photos I made there. And yeah, I don't know. Just find what works and stick to it. Definitely. <laughs> At the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. Camera the box. Kind of, especially when you're shooting film, dude. It is legit. It's really all it is. It's just a box. So I, I don't. I'm. I had a coworker. He's a photographer as well. He has yet to shoot film. He, he was trying to get into it, but I had my film camera with me, and he asked me mm-hmm. how, how many megapixels my camera was. Now I'm I'm I knew he wasn't aware about like the whole concept of film. It took me. Hey, off. Is that a full frame camera? Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of caught me off guard. I didn't entertain it and and make fun of him or chastise him or condescend yeah. him anyway. But I was like, oh, it's film. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know, but what what's you know what's the megapixels on film? And I was like, film. <laughs> 
film is the megapixels. It's like there's no megapixels on film. It's just it's just film. So it was kind mm-hmm. of hard. And I don't know if he understood it at that time, but maybe he doesn't. Un- he didn't. He still probably doesn't know. Like there's no megapixel count on film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, it was the first time I've, I've ever had someone ask me the megapixels on. Yeah. See, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I, it's very interesting, but it's almost it's kind of nice to know that I don't know. Yeah, there's some people that don't, you know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like they don't comprehend. Sometimes it feels like yeah, it's like it's like it's like it's magical. And I feel like once you do start to comprehend it, you start looking at photos a little differently. Yeah, I think so. So you were speaking about like education and workshops. I don't know anyone specifically who offers workshops in the San Francisco area, but I believe Dan Fenstermacher is there. I know he teaches at a school, but I also believe he does do workshops. Either way, if he does, he would probably be the person that I would recommend people in your area to check out and take workshop for. If you're a fan of color, flash, and very Martin Parrish kind of images, you will be satisfied looking at his work because he captures very similar. I, don't, I That's the wrong word. I shouldn't say that because, you know, his style is his own style. But if you see his images, you can kind of relate to a Martin Parr image, vibrant colors, flash, okay. stuff like that. And yeah. So, mm-hmm. I I hope people don't misunderstand when I say that. Like he is not trying to imitate Martin Parr in, in any. Yeah. But you know, there's just a resemblance when you see his photo. Like, oh, okay, this kind of looks like it was taken by Martin Parr. Very nice photo. Great photographer, and he's a teacher, professor. Professor. I was gonna say professional, but yeah, he is a professional. He's a professor, and really great guy. Cool to talk to. Also recorded an episode with him, which was released a couple weeks ago. So go ahead, listen. I'm over here plugging myself shamelessly today. There you go. Yeah. And no shame. Do your thing, dude. That's true. No shame at all. We're doing it for the love. Exactly. You got to plug yourself. I appreciate that. But Yeah. Uh, kind of going to have to start winding down. Got an early morning tomorrow, and I got to get some sleep. So got a couple more questions before we do wrap it up. And one would be, if you were to highlight, recommend any up-and-coming photographer that you feel does not deserve, or not that's the wrong word, who does not receive the proper recognition they deserve. So, you know, photographers that you really like, their work that you think people don't know who they are and should. It could be anybody, not just photographers. So artists, musicians, baristas, anybody. (laughs) 
Uh, oh man, up and coming. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have to be up and coming. Yeah, just, just creative people in general. I guess we'll go with that. Creative people. Yeah. Um, well, definitely like one of the first people I got to shout out is like my best friend Braden. Dudes, it's like kind of taught me and introduced me to a lot of the things that have like influenced me, and just kind of always been like a cool like sounding board to go and like just bounce ideas off of, shoot with. Super knowledgeable dude for he works at a at Photo Works, one of like the you know probably like the most well known photo lab here in the city. Yeah, yeah. He does all like the uh, all the high res scans for them. As of the last couple of months, he just moved up here. Okay, but just insane, insane scanning technician. Just doing great scans, making great photos. Great human. Um, also, like DJs. That dude, I always just <laughs> love to shout him out, just because he's just just one of those people where I'm like, that dude's in my corner and does it all. Very genuine human. Does it all. Yeah. Um, another dude out in like San Francisco that's like takes really cool photos. Uh, his name is his name is Garrett. It's like a, at G Pots on Instagram. I think his last name is just Garrett Potter. I want to say. Let me check out his name here. Can't remember his last name specifically off the top of my head. But dude takes really cool photos. Another skateboarder as well. So hard not to. To shout those people out, yeah, Garrett Potter is his last name. Um, it's just a, it's a fun perspective to see. Um, it's a, it's a different world, especially when you kind of like grow up in it. And I guess I didn't mention Ed Templeton as an influence earlier, but definitely a big, big influence coming from the skate world, being a professional skateboarder. As also like as well as a street photographer, so yeah. Um, Garrett's work is really cool. A lot of it like takes really cool photos, like on his skateboard. Had some stuff recently posted like a little skate game. Um, like two people I mentioned earlier, like Carlo Marcus and like another mutual friend of theirs, like Alden, like. All those dudes kind of like out here just putting in work in the streets or just insane photographers. And yeah. I don't know. I feel just like blessed to be in a city where I'm like surrounded by a lot of cool people doing cool things. And so it's been very stimulating the last like year and a half that I've been here. I feel like I've noticed just big change in kind of my approach to things. Okay. How I shoot. So, yeah much a lot of people that are kind of shooting around these parts nice. always got to shout shout them out yeah got big influences for sure looking through their zines i know i'm a big proponent of like supporting you know supporting people around you it's like seems like a lot of people take photos but when you're when you're out there walking around a lot there's not that many of us and you're seeing the same faces over and over and it's cool to know that like, you know, everyone's 
everyone that I've met has been very welcoming and like, and I feel like sometimes you can also be like, oh, who's this dude that are going to start poaching some pictures or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I always get a little. Still your role of film. Yeah, I took this. Apprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Entering new spaces. Like, I, I moved, like, with the military family thing. Like, I moved around a lot as a kid. So I've, like, been a little apprehensive with, like, situations. Like, where I'm moving somewhere new. So it takes me a little time to, like, warm up. But, yeah. Air Force, Army, Marines, Navy. Navy, both of my parents are Navy. My mom's retired now, but my dad's still in. Okay. So yeah. Is he stationed? San Diego. San Diego, okay. Yeah. That's where my daughter lives. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll be going to visit her. Went last year, and there's like a million Navy bases in like a small little radius. It's... It's insane. There's so many bases. It's a weird poof. I don't know. I'm happy I'm not in San Diego anymore. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. I like it. I'll, like I said, I'll probably be going back there. You mentioned approach, and I didn't get an opportunity to ask you, so I'll ask you now. But what is your approach for your street photography? When you're in the streets, what do you look for? How do you build a scene? And when do you know when to push the shutter? Um, I think it's it depends on what the situation is. I try and take photos in like most circumstances. Even when I feel like there might not be any photos to be made, I'll try and find something. So um, when I'm just walking around the streets, and it's just say like my days off, which are like Tuesday, Wednesday, which is not a particularly busy time of the week, you know. And sometimes that's kind of frustrating because I'll walk miles, like I'll, I'll put in a few hours of walking around. Um, so my approach is really capturing. First of all, like I lately I've been trying not to isolate people so much. Um trying not to center people in the frames as much um, and trying to like kind of like more like visual geometry, I guess, like trying to layer people in and kind of watching how things unfold, watching where people go and trying to predict where they're going to be. Um, and one of the biggest helps of like kind of like shooting on one focal length for such a long time is like you, you kind of know your frame before you pull the camera up to your face. So a lot, a lot of like my photos, it's like kind of quick. And when I push the shutter, it's like almost right as I see the anticipation of the frame being made, like, or like slightly thereafter, like right when I see things kind of line up where I want them to be, I'll like pull up the camera and kind of like shoot real quick. Like I don't like people to know that I'm taking photos. Cause I like a lot of it is like street photography and I don't mind getting in someone's face and taking their photo and, you know, just giving them a compliment or like kind of dealing with like that altercation. It like something I've gotten a little more used to being here. 
especially after I started working with Flash during the winter times and it was raining and I was like, fuck it, dude, I'm still going to make pictures. Like, I got to get over this hurdle of shooting with Flash. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit of trying to trying to layer things in the frame, trying to like really observe where people are moving in and out of and weaving into each other. Like I love shooting in crosswalks. Um, trying to capture more of just like human moments rather than maybe more bizarre scenes. Like obviously you're not gonna, you're not gonna, not shoot those instances. I saw someone walking down market with like a surfboard and their face was all bloody. And I'm like, of course I'm going to take a photo, but you don't always see that. And I try not to, I try not to make my photos kind of like rooted in like bizarre street photography, but rather maybe more just like, ah, just trying to capture people as they are. And if it is up front and someone's like, I, I want to really like isolate them, it's usually out of a sense of like, well, this person's thinking really hard right now and they're in their own world. Yeah. And that's, and that's really fun sometimes. And you kind of like, you know, throw your focus real close and really like, shallow depth of field and you just like isolate them from everyone else and they are the photo and sometimes that's what I want sometimes it's not so it's a mix Mm -hmm. just depends on the scene when I'm like shooting kind of like events that are just popping off like San Francisco is a crazy place so 4th of July and the mission got really rowdy in the mission district here people lit a bunch of like electric rent-a-scooters on fire and like through trash cans and this bonfire light and fireworks, the riot squad came in. And when I'm shooting stuff like that, I'm just, I'm just running around like a kid in a candy store. Just like senses are going everywhere. I've always been like a quiet kind of like observer. I've never been one to really like talk a lot. I feel like when I picked up the camera, I was like, ah, perfect. Now all the things that I see, I can record. So in those instances, I'm just really trying to put myself in a place where I'm like, all right, how am I going to capture the event? I'm trying to look for moments that are happening that are maybe crazy while also trying to like capture things on the sidelines, like the spectator things. So yeah, it really depends. It's, it's weird trying to like, kind of like get into those different mindsets. Like I was shooting the carnival parade uh, last Sunday. And at one point I just fucking kind of walked through the barricades and I was like, I'm not going to get the photos of the parade that I want. If I'm like behind these barricades and in the spec, like with the crowd. Yeah. So I just kind of (laughs) walked. Nobody really told me anything. I don't know, dude, skateboarding teaches you a lot. Um, Ask for ask for uh, forgiveness always. So I put my yeah. I just I wanted to get real close and isolate what was happening because some of the costumes are really crazy. But then I also I'm like okay I can't ignore the people that are here because that's also part of the experience. So I think I really just in general want to capture oh, fucking everything, dude. <laughs> nice. Like I want it all. Like if it's a if it's a moment, like. 
doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be as mundane as me looking out the BART window and the light's nicer. It's just, yeah, just the context of where I'm at, I think. But just always looking, basically. And even if sometimes I'll look back and I'll hate it, and I'm like, oh, why did I take this? But that's kind of going back to an earlier question of, like, why do you shoot film? It's like, can't just delete it on the fly and, like, decide right then and there, like, I hate this, it's gone, you know? It's like, all right, I put in all this time and energy, like, let me look at this a little bit longer. Like, am I missing something I didn't initially see? Like, is there something more to this? And sometimes they're not. There isn't, and sometimes there is. So, yeah, just taking photos of everything. Okay. No themes, just kind of, yeah. So kind of like a shoot now, think later approach? Yeah. Trying to be more selective, I guess. Like I said, not isolating things so much, but really trying to have more of like a... I watched something, Ruben Radding recently, and he was kind of like, don't work from the center out. You want to work from the corners in. And I was like, ah, oh, it's fucking genius. Like, mm-hmm. you know, filling the frame from edge to edge, like with information and trying to layer it and finding those moments, even if it might not be anything spectacular. I think it's just like the practice of it now will help for when I, you know, it helps for when I do find those things, I guess. So try not to be too selective. I, I kind of shoot pretty loose. Okay. But I develop and scan myself. So <laughs> I kind of get a little bit more luxury to do so just yeah. a little bit. It's your own leisure. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't ask you before and do want to get this from you now before I do forget your social media accounts. So that way the listeners have a way of viewing your work, supporting your photos that you post, wherever it is that you post. So anything that you own, Instagrams, Twitters, websites, Facebooks, anything you own and you'd like the world to know how to find you? Uh, yeah, I'm only active on Instagram. It's just at overcooked negatives. Okay. All one word, all, all lowercase. That's it. I'm trying to get a website going, but right. we'll see. We'll see. I got, I got <laughs> too many things. We got a little photo show. Coming up in July, I'm trying to green. So, like website, we'll figure that out when the time is right. But for now, just Instagram. Nice, nice. All right, and I'll get that, and I will include that in the show notes. And yeah, so the final question that I always ask is, what does street photography mean to you? Um. I think, I think it means just it, dude. I mean, it, it means just being a human at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I feel as we get older, 
becomes a little harder to appreciate some of the little moments as you get a little stressed out with things happening in your own life. And it gets harder to pay attention to the things that are around you. One of the things I noticed a lot as I'm out taking photos is kids are always the most observant people. They're always the first person to see you with the camera and just like stare at you and they're like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard to get a kid like, like a capture a photo of a, like a younger kid without them like staring straight into the lens. They're like, they know you're there. And I love that. And I think that's, what street photography is at the end of the day. It's looking at these tiny little moments that everyone's kind of overlooking. And maybe they're just a little, you know, just going about their lives. And that's not to say that they don't appreciate those moments, because I'm sure that they do within the context of their own lives. Mm-hmm. But I feel like street photography is such a human experience because you're constantly kind of seeing the joys, the trials and tribulations of humanity, the full spectrum of life. If you're kind of walking in different areas, which I think people should be like, don't get caught in one area of your town or city, like go out, you know, get lost. Don't have a plan. Yeah. Um, just walk. Maybe you do have a plan. And if like, the, you know, if your gut tells you, Hey, go this way, like just do it. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I feel like just street photography is just appreciating human moments. And at the end of the day, just, just kind of like being able to just kind of like, just realize how beautiful life is really. I don't know. I constantly feel better when I go out and walk and just see people interacting with each other, socializing and I get really bummed out when they're not like when you see people just walking around on their phones, just super like mindless and droll. And that kind of scares me sometimes. And I'm like, I don't want to take photos, but then I'm like, oh, I'm still going to take photos. Cause maybe in 30 years, who knows what we're going to have. And at some point this is, this is what the times look like, you know? Yeah. So Yeah. Well, nice explanation. I like asking because the answer is always different. And I really like like this one. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. And like I said, that's the last question I ask. However, I'd like to give you the opportunity to ask me some questions. And I'll answer the Ooh. best I can. Um, so what, what got you into taking photos? I You know, I feel like that's like always a nice place to start like where did yeah yeah all right so my photography journey started about 13 almost 14 years ago yeah okay uh when i arrived in okinawa japan the first time 2010 my cousin was a marine stationed on the island as well Mm -hmm. he was actually modeling for a group of photographers before I got here, he was here before I was. And one day he had asked me to take him to a photo shoot. And I did. And it was new to me. I didn't know photography existed the way it did. Now everybody knows mm-hmm. photography, what it is. Oh, here's a camera. Yeah. You're a photographer. But for me, photography was just 
you know, a point and shoot disposable camera. I didn't have a mm-hmm. a proper camera. And I did, when I did get one, I didn't know what I was doing. It was always just family photos. Like, oh, me and my cousins, we're going to line up right here on this wall. And we'll take a picture. And that's what it was. That's what photography was to me, was just family pictures. And then mm-hmm. when I was able to see the photo shoot happening, that kind of opened up the world of photography to me, photography to mm-hmm. me properly. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is so cool. And it was showing me the photos behind the camera. And I was like, man, I, this is something I would like to do. I was a graphic designer before I came in the Air Force. Got my degree. Didn't work out. Joined the Air Force. Here I am. So I thought that learning photography would be able to help me with freelancing graphic design. What I didn't Mm -hmm. expect was graphic design actually helped me freelancing photography. It was reverse. (laughs) So, yeah, I got into photography. I bought a camera like a week later after that photo shoot happened. And I've been shooting ever since. And nonstop. I don't want to say nonstop. I never gave up. I never felt like I was unmotivated to take photos. I always wanted to continue doing it. Now, you know, given work schedules or whatnot, there's obviously some time you're going to not have to take photos. And that's just, mm-hmm. that is what it is when photography is not our full-time business. So yeah. as soon as I was able to get to a point where I could start taking photos again, I did. And yeah. That's my photography journey. Short answer or long answer wrapped up shortly. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, are you still in the Air Force? I am. I am in Okinawa, okay. Japan, stationed in Kadena. How long have you been out in Okinawa for now? A you total. said your first trip out there was like 10 years? 10 yeah. years ago? Yes, so I first came, it was 2010, and I left in 2016. I went to England for three years, and I came back to Okinawa in 2019. So about a total of 10 years so far, and we'll see how long I can max out before I have to rotate again. (laughs) That's, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So your dad... Navy, he's probably been to Okinawa quite a few times. He's he was uh he was stationed out there, sorry, not stationed, he was deployed out there once when I was young. Um and then that was pretty early on or relatively early on in his career. He's been in almost thirty years now, he's coming up on thirty here pretty soon. But at one point, he was just traveling a lot to a lot of the bases in the uh, in the Pacific. Mm. He was kind of yeah doing his thing. Yeah, um, yeah. He went out. He was traveling for like three years, constantly going out there, Hawaii, a lot of those spots. But yeah, I've never been myself. I really want to go to yeah. Japan just in general. Want to go shoot in Tokyo. 
Tokyo is awesome. I was, supposed, I was supposed to be up there this weekend. Weather had decided not to allow me to go. So, uh, what you said? You, I remember hearing you say like shooting umbrellas. What, what was the weather like? Was it was it raining? Well, yeah. So it wasn't that it was raining. It was we had a typhoon and the airlines oh. canceled the flights, all of the flights for. Uh. For the two days, I was like, okay, so I'm leaving today. If I would have left one day earlier, I would have been able to make it, and I would have enjoyed my weekend up there. But I was being mm-hmm. stubborn, and I was like, nope, it's not going to hit us. It never does. It's going to just... And the one time where I say it's not going to hit us, it it got us. <laughs> so yeah. day one, I was supposed to be there. All the flights out of the airport were canceled. They wanted to try again the next day. And then at that point, I would have got there. It would have been late. And my weekend would have just pretty much been two days, one night. And I was yeah. like, it's, it's not even worth it for me to go now. So I just canceled the whole trip. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll make it back up there. I go to Tokyo so often that... While I would have enjoyed being up there this weekend, I'm. It's I can do it anytime, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Got you. Got you. What are your thoughts on shooting in the rain? I like it. I'm more concerned about damaging my camera from the water. Yeah, because not all Leicas are waterproof. I have shot in the rain. I don't want to say torrential downpouring, rain, mm-hmm. but significant enough rain where I was like, all right, if it increases any more, then I'll have to call it. But I don't mind it. I don't like getting wet in general. I hate the rain because it messes up mm-hmm. my hair, and I have short hair already. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, you gave me the the slide film trick tip earlier. I don't know if you do the the, the gallon Ziploc bag trick, but you just get one of those freezer Ziploc gallon bags, right? I've seen it. I've also seen people. Yeah, they'll. I I even actually thought that I would end up using it with the. They actually mm-hmm. sell camera covers for rain, so you don't have to use a gallon bag. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, too high tech. <laughs> it it really is, but it's really not at the same time. It's like a plastic yeah. bag, the shape of a camera, so it's not like you're you're missing anything. And mm-hmm. they have the the little section that goes over your lens, and I think it's like either a string or a little elastic on the inside. So it's probably a lot more useful than whatever gallon bag you have but i don't use it it's if it's gonna get wet probably the photographers before me if they shot in the rain they didn't have any of that stuff and and look at yeah they survived so i just i go for it yeah that's why i don't know i always like the the lo-fi approach like yeah it works pretty yeah every time now that it's like coming down pretty hard i'll break that out and seems to have kept everything and relatively working order. Not but my camera is pretty 
pretty damn old too. So yeah, honestly, you actually can get really lucky depending on the weather conditions. If you're using flash and it's raining, the flash is going to stop the water in its place. So you'll get mm-hmm. the water drops. I've, I've, done, yeah. I've done that before. But then also, if you don't have a flash, but there's a lot of artificial light, real bright, and it's raining, and your shutter speed is slow enough, you'll capture the light uh, refracting off mm-hmm. the water. And more interesting, you'll obviously you'll have raindrops on the front of your lens. It creates pretty authentic looking and unique looks. So I just say leave the gallon bag or camera bag for the rain, whatever you're using that you don't want to damage your camera. Just go ahead, put yeah. some insurance on the camera. If it get messes up, if it gets messed up, I said messes up. If it gets messed up, insurance company will pay for it. Either replace it, repair it, whatever it may be. But everybody who has a camera should have it insured. So, yeah, there's that. Good point. Yeah. I haven't even thought about camera insurance. Oh, it's it's important. All, all my major cameras I have are insured. And I will tell you, I was in London I misplaced a camera and lens that was very costly. And it was a very simple process. Now, obviously, you have to do, like, the official things, file a police report. And once you get all the official paperwork and the documents, you just send them to the insurance company. And, like, a day later, you, you get whatever your camera's insured for. Mm-hmm. So. Craig, oh, Craig Clark is probably the only other photographer I know who had to use camera insurance. Now, I'm not saying we're the only two people in the world that ever had to use camera insurance. I'm just saying myself yeah. and Craig Clark are the only two people that I know personally that's had to use camera insurance. Well, hopefully never again. <laughs> yeah. But it's always that it's always that one point. Something happens. Yeah. That's so, true. Yeah. Think about it like all right, I'll pay ten dollars today and save nine thousand tomorrow. Yeah, that's fair. I guess none of my cameras are anywhere near that expensive though, so yeah. For those who are shooting digital Leicas and the prices that come yeah. to increase, <laughs> yeah, they're they're still yeah. they'll be breaking 10k soon with all the yearly annual increases. So, oh man, I thought I was thought I was breaking my thing. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, I'm digital. I got yeah, that's fair. I got probably one of like. The crustiest, dustiest Leicas you'll find, but it's yours. Boy, I do right? love that thing with my whole heart. Yeah, exactly. But it was like it was when I got it. I like tried tried an M4P that was like brand new, basically. And the lens flare on that thing was just god awful, mm-hmm. and it felt like too nice, dude. I'm like, ah, this is 
too much. Like I can't be skating around with this. Like, I don't know. I just felt like didn't have a story. Took it back. Got it at a camera store. They had like a cool 30 day return policy. It was like two days later. They showed me this one that was like patinaed like crazy. Like, yeah, some dude, some East Coast street photographer owned this for like 30 years and he just traded it in. I was like, Probably Ruben Ratting. (laughs) Who knows? Fuck, who knows, dude? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I like, I don't know. I like, I just, as soon as it was in my hands, it was just like one of those, it was like a. This is the one. I don't know, dude. It was a magical feeling. Yeah. I was like, this is the one. This like suits me. So the camera selected. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It was fate. Yeah. I like the things that are, you know, not so pretty, I guess. Give me me a little, give me a little character. There you go. It's awesome. Yeah. Cool story. All right. Well, do you have any other questions for me, sir? Um, Man, I'm sure I got a lot. <laughs> I'd love to keep the conversations going, you know, in the yeah. future at some point or something. This was cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Welcome back in. Obviously, I know you're trying to get to sleep, though. So um, I don't want to hold you up too yeah, much. I'm I'm dying over here. Well, but it is a good yeah, conversation. Dude. And obviously, whenever you have some more free time and you like to come back, we'll pick it up where we left off. So, yeah. Yeah, dude. That would that'd be cool. This was, this was a lot of fun. Kind of forgot other people are going to be hearing this mm-hmm. for a lot of it, but <laughs> you know, that'll, we'll come to that when it gets there. <laughs> yeah. So, so really quick, like I said, like you were a little, you seemed like you were a little nervous, never recording a podcast and how long did it take? Yeah. I'd say probably about a minute into it. You kind of forgot we were recording. Yeah, up until now, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, well, it happens every time. Most people, it's just that initial, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to do it good. I get it every, every, every episode, except for the people who actually, like, record and kind of have to process down and, you know, they're not as nervous. But for those who are first time, 100% of the people that are, it is their first time, it's the same thing, nervous. 30 seconds later, they completely forget. Then I rewind them yeah. again. Like, see, told you. And like, nothing to worry about. Yeah. So it's, it's easy. It's just, it's cool. new. It's a new process for most people. So I think that's what it is. Yeah. Cool. That's fair. Well, all right. All right. I do appreciate it. Thank you to all the listeners yeah, likewise. out there. Yeah. Supporters, the fans made it this far. Go check out Carlos's work. I'll include all of the links like I normally do for all his recommendations. My apologies. I know the format was typically in the set format, how I asked the questions. But we got them. Main main thing is we got them. He answered them. We got a good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Like a Street Photography Collective, Carlos Lemos. すみません。これってライカ